Come on, if you're glad to be in the house, come on, give Jesus some praise. It is good to see you today, and I hope that you enjoyed your 4th of July holiday. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of our 11 a.m. worship experience. It's good to see each and every single one of you. I'm excited about this series. We're going to be answering some questions. Typically, we do this in our gospel circles on Wednesday nights. But we thought we'd bring a little flavor of our Wednesdays into our Sundays, and so you're in for a treat. But here's what I want you to do for the next several weeks. This is going to go through July and probably mid-August. I want you to invite somebody. Invite somebody for the upcoming weeks because we're going to be answering some questions. I think all of us have had questions on our journey and our walk of faith. And how many know God's not uh, intimidated by your questions. He welcomes them. Matter of fact, that's in the place that's where we grow. And if we are searching, if we're seeking, then we trust, we're trusting him to lead us into all truth. Amen. And so this is a journey of that. We're walking and he's going to lead us into truth. So just a few moments ago, you heard Pastor Ben ask the question, can you go too far with God's grace? Can you go too far with it? You know, many people who are afraid of the gospel have sometimes suggested that you can go too far with God's grace. And what tends to happen is people are worried about what might happen when you tell people that they are free in Christ. And I think the more and more that I grow in this message, the more and more I realize that as humans, we're really afraid of what freedom looks like, but we haven't defined it the way Jesus defines it. So we need to remember that grace involves expressing, God expressing his unconditional love to you. We, we need to remember that God's grace is him expressing his favor to you, independent of what you do or you don't do. That's a good God, and that's a good Father. You know why this is true? Because grace is Jesus. Grace is personified in Jesus. Grace is not a good idea once a year on Easter. Grace is not a sometime kind of thing. Grace is not a thing that you need when you need rescuing. Grace is the whole package. Grace is Jesus. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he represented grace. He showed us what grace looks like. So to say that you can go too far with grace is like saying that you can go too far with Jesus. <laughs> That's impossible. So consider this for a second because... God is infinite in his goodness. Can we agree with that? God is infinite in his holiness. Can we agree with that? God is infinite in his love. Can we agree with that? Can God go too far with those things? He cannot. So why are we under the impression that God can go too far with grace? Some people... Many people, myself, getting into this, were afraid that if 
Man, if you teach the pure grace of God, wait a minute, people might be encouraged to just go out and sin. And can I let you know, no one ever gave you permission to sin. Humanity has been doing it and doing a good job of it from the beginning of time. You don't need a license to do it, so it isn't this message that does it. But when you really get to the core of what God has done for us by way of the finished work of the cross, do you know what happens? It doesn't encourage sin. Matter of fact, it, it allows us it allows us to see that you and I rule and reign over the things that try to bound us here on earth. Meaning this, that we don't have a clear understanding of what grace does in a person's life. Because, come on, many of us know that when the grace of God grabs a hold of us, the exact opposite happens of encouraging sin. Do you know what happens? It causes us to come alive to God's love. It causes us to come alive to faith in God. Which can I tell you? That's not encouraging sin. That is encouraging your authority and your kingship here in this world. And while many people are okay in understanding, well, God loves me unconditionally. I got that. Good point, Pastor. What we fail to realize that he has made you kings and priests in this world. That you rule and reign with Christ in you in this world. And many of us can't get to that place, but can I tell you, Paul said it best in Colossians when he said, hey, the secret's out. There is no secret anymore. It's been revealed for humanity to see, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if Christ is in you, then he's not stopping you. If Christ is in you, maybe we're stopping ourselves. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And you know what that means? That you and I live from a place that God is pleased with us, that he loves us, that he sees us the way he made us by way of the cross, that you and I get an opportunity to have a different perspective on the matter. You know what the gospel message does? It invites you to have his view on the matter. He says, hey, come up here with me where you're co-seated in heavenly places and see what I see. See, the problem is we don't see what he sees. We see our life and we see all this stuff that doesn't line up and what we don't have and what we're missing and, and the way we feel. We bend towards the way we feel, so we believe towards what we feel. But hey, what if Jesus today is just letting you know, hey, it's not about what you see down here, but it's, it's really where you're co-seated in heavenly places that your true perspective comes in. You're a child of God. So the idea that you can go too far with grace, I'll say it like this, it is an irrational fear. Yeah, because the truth is, when we sin, when we are in those moments, we are contradicting the very essence of God's grace, meaning that we have forgotten the rock from which we were hewn. For all my KGV folk out there. 
I'll say it like this for everybody else that's up to the Passion Translation. You forgot the rock which you were cut. You forgot your original design. Maybe when we sin, we forgot that we bear the image of God. Because grace empowers us to honor our Father through our actions and and, and through what we say and what we believe. And hear me when I say this, because it is possible to pervert grace in your mind. It is possible to pervert grace to a point that it hinders the power and purpose in your heart. But it isn't possible to go too far with it. Right there where you are, could you lift your hands? Come on, just thank Jesus for his finished work on the cross. It is complete. It is done. He said it is finished. Now you live from a place of completion. Now you live from a place of fullness. And Lord, we pray that today that we would get a revelation of this completed work. Lord, we pray that today you open up our eyes to see who you have made us become who we are becoming take that right hand set it on your heart come on with everything you got today come on let's start this series off with a big bang today energy let's start it off today with some enthusiasm come on repeat after me eyes to see ears to hear a heart to receive and a mouth to confess all of the good things come on say all of the good things Christ has provided for me. If you believe that, come on, give Jesus some praise. You know, this gospel message that we have been declaring in the past few years here at our campus, um, it has brought up a lot of questions. And so I've gotten this question before. Aren't you afraid that by teaching the pure grace of God so strongly that you're going to encourage people to sin. And by that I would say, no, not if you teach it the way the Bible does. Let's read Romans chapter 5, verse 17, and whether you have a Bible today, using your Calvary app, or you can follow along on the screen. Come on, let's read it together. For by the transgressions of the one, that was your... Uncle Adam, (laughs) transgressions of the one, death reigned through that one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Somebody say, I have his righteousness. Do you believe that? You have his righteousness. Paul is explaining here that we're going to reign in this life and that is God's intent for us. But if we're going to get to that place, we need to understand that we have been given an abundance of grace. An abundance. Someone say abundance. We need to, as believers, let me say it like this, as new covenant people, we need to become more familiar with that word abundance. I don't think we use it enough. I think a lot of times our speech indicates the things that we feel 
or are missing in this world. Do you know you can just tell where people are at by the way they talk? Like if they lack, I lack this, I lack that, I'm frustrated with this, I lack this. And I'm not saying that it's not okay to feel. All I'm saying is that there has to be a higher reality for all of us believers. Because what God did was very significant on the cross. It is. And so abundance, he's given us an abundance of grace. And that abundance has provided the free gift of righteousness. And hear me when I say this, because when you as a believer begin to believe that you have right standing with God, not by your own merit, but what by Jesus did, do you know what happens? You begin to reign in life. You begin to reign in life. And hear me when I say this, because I've talked to countless people in the last couple of months. There's something about this season that is stirring for our church. I don't know what God is doing, but I'm here for it. I'm along the ride. I want to ride that wave. But I'm hearing more and more people's stories and stories that would knock people down and out when they hear this message of God's grace, saving them, carrying them, but also empowering them to do the impossible, they stand back up. So it's abundance. And and the word abundance in, in this verse suggests, here it is, one of my favorite words, overflow. It's just an overflow. So think about this for a second, because if Jesus in all of his fullness lives in you, if Jesus in all of who he is lives in you, then why are we okay with half joy? Why are we okay with quarter-filled passion? Why... Why are we okay with eighth of a cup filled of anointing? Hear me, there's this, been, there's, there's this doctrine that's, that's been taught, the pursuit of being filled. Child of God, if Jesus is in you, you are filled. You're filled. You're filled. Live from that place. Take him at his word. So if Jesus in all of his fullness is in us, then where Jesus is present, there is fullness of joy. Where Jesus is present, there is more than enough anointing to accomplish everything that God has put in your heart. Wherever Jesus is present, there is an abundance of grace. More than enough. Overflow. Overflow doesn't mean that you're filling it up right to the brim. It means that you're filling it beyond that point. And that's what God's grace does. Paul says that that's what happened to us, that we have received an overflow of this abundant grace. In Philippians 3, Paul tells us his own story. I mean, he gives us all kind of credentials, all kind of things that he did And he could hold them up to anybody's resume, and he could always come out on top. (laughs) I did this, I did that, I was this, I was that. You got to know who I am. But you know what he did? He put all those things away. Why? Because he wanted to grow in intimacy and relationship with Christ. It was the joy 
of knowing Jesus. Do you know what trap that we're in? Success. Success. Always pursuing. Always doing it. And some of us have lost so much in the pursuit of success. Success has been redefined. Success has been redefined. Growing where you're planted. Allowing the life of God being expressed through you. Oh, here's a thought. Allowing the good things to come to you. Allowing God things to come to you. Instead of you forcing your way, manipulating people, dragging people along the way and hurting others in the process, allowing God to bring good things to you. That is success. And do you know what? What else? You don't have to sustain that kind of success because whatever God gives, he sustains. If you, if you author it and if you birth it, then guess what? You're going to have to sustain it through the flesh. And this is why most believers, most Christians get worn out and tired and give up because most of the things that they have in their life were not waited on. They were forced. They were forced. Okay, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 This is Paul. He gave up all his credentials just so he can know Jesus. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay a hold of that for which also I laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind And reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Simply put, Paul is clear about the fact that God's grace, guess what it did? It motivated him to press on toward a deeper knowledge and intimacy with Jesus Christ. He wasn't concerned about getting out of balance with grace. He knew that when we have gone to as far as we could ever go in our understanding and our, in, our, in, in our experience, do you know what happens? We find out that we haven't exhausted God's grace. You can't go to the end. You can't find it because God's grace reaches further than you could ever imagine. And that's why some of us are here today because we tried running. We tried going. We tried pushing it away. We tried redefining our life. We tried doing other things. We tried making a living doing something else. We tried and we tried, but somehow we find here and can I tell you it's God's grace that always continues to bring you back to this place where you say I need something else but that something else is always Jesus so listen to this because this is important to understand and while God's grace allows us a safe place to learn and to grow from our immaturity It also serves as a place where we're empowered to rule and reign in every area of our life. When I heard preachers talk about ruling and reigning, I thought it was a bunch of talk. 
Seriously. How could you rule and reign in your life like troubles, problems, issues? They, they always seem to come at the most, at the moments where you think that you're just doing your best. Anybody with me? Here's what happens. When you get in the revelation, when you start living this thing out, you know what happens? Yeah, trouble will come, but they don't phase you like they used to. What I used to do is I used to talk to God about my mountains. God, I got a big mountain. It's a big mountain. Can you do something about it? Can you do something? Can you save me from it? It looks like a big mountain to climb. I don't know if I can do it. God, do something about it. Do you know what I understand now that we're in the kingdom of God? <laughs> you don't talk to God about your mountain, but now, because you got Christ in you, you speak to that mountain. And you declare things that he has already declared and he believes is true about you and your situation. You begin to use your voice. Do you know what that's called? Kingship. Ruling and reigning in this life. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says this. For sin shall not be your master. That mountain is not your master. Because you are not under law. But read it for yourself. You are under grace. You're under grace. So go too far with grace? There's no way. No. Not a chance. And I'll say it like this, that most people haven't gone far enough to understand it. Here's why. Because legalism traps us on this behavior-oriented track. And we hold up our morality. Is that correct? Okay. We hold up our morality. She's, she's a, she helps me with my English sometimes. She, we hold up our morality to God. And we say, God... I've been a good boy this year. I've been good. So I deserve that blessing. I deserve that reward. And God is sitting there. It was never about your behavior. It was never about what you can earn. But it's simply given to you. Why don't you just receive it? Believe it and receive it. All right. I'm getting way off course today, but it's okay. So go too far with grace? Not a chance. Matter of fact, we need an abundance of grace in, the, grace in the modern church today. We need to understand that this grace thing is our life. It's not just a once in a while kind of situation. It is everything. Everything. So today, I've divided up questions into two groups. And, and before we get started today, I just want to say that in this season, as we've been gathering in gospel circles it's been awesome and, and amazing to create a, a kind of culture where we can, you know, have some dialogue, ask questions, and every question is, is welcome. Every question is welcome. And I'm not saying I know everything there is to know. All I'm saying is if I, we don't know and if we can't find it in Scripture, let's grow together. Let's grow together. I had my fair share of questions when I came into this. And you will too. I believe every believer has had their fair question. So in terms of the subject of grace, here's the first one I want you to write down. If you're following along on your Calvary Church app, you can follow along that way or take notes. 
Number one, does this mean God no longer disciplines us? Does this mean God no, no longer disciplines us? And let me just say this because I have no doubt about it, that God would save us if we were in the middle of a street and there was oncoming traffic. I, I believe he'd yank us off that road. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. However, his method of discipline, hear me when I say his method of discipline never involves making you sick. His method of discipline never involves making you poor. His method of discipline never involves tragedy. God is redemptive in nature. Let me say it like this. His work in our life is always redemptive. Huh. Felt good saying. Do you know what redemptive means? Acting to save someone from error or evil. His work in our life is always redemptive, which means he's out to redeem. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is always providing a way out. He always works things out for our good. The bad things that you got yourself in, could it be a good God that he just, he gets in the mix of those and he even works out those bad things for your good? Grace, abundant grace. And many of us understand this in this room because we were far off and we did some things that are unexplainable and we experienced some crazy, crazy, crazy things. But let me tell you, when that abundant grace, when you receive it, when you see it for what it is, you can't help but to honor your father. But can I tell you, because some of us still have the questions of consequences. And yeah, there's still consequences for your bad choice. There's still things that you got to deal with down, down here in the natural. And it's wrong to say that God put those consequences there. No, they're not. God didn't author those consequences. You brought them on yourself. But the good thing about God is he will even use those consequences to teach us his love, his favor, blessings, his forgiveness. He'll teach us those things. What a great shepherd. He'll teach us. Even when we veered off the course, he'll use those things to remind us that you're unconditionally loved and that you got a purpose and that you got a plan in your life. And he sees something far greater than the very moment that you're in. And he knows you more than you know yourself. All right. So let me say this. Before we get into our next question, because it's also erroneous to think and say that God punishes you. Yeah, I believe we're going to free people today, but you have to understand God doesn't punish you. 
If you think you're going to get punished, you know what that's called? Even there's a term in our legal system. It's called double jeopardy. <laughs> it's already been dealt with. They can't charge anybody else with the crime. It's double jeopardy. God has been punished, or Jesus has been punished in our place. So where's that leave discipline? Hear me. True discipline is what we call course correction. You want to know what course correction is? Course correction involves your loving father attempting to redirect your steps from potential trouble and harm that you are on. He saves you. He course corrects you. And remember this, that punishment deals with your past while correction deals with your future. God is course correcting us in our thinking, in our actions, and we're maturing in this grace. We're maturing on our journey. He is course correcting us each and every day. Okay, number two, write this down. We're going to go quick. Didn't Jesus say, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, and be holy as he is holy? This used to trip me up so much. It's because I had my eyes on the wrong thing. Jesus' purpose, and I think we can all agree with this. Jesus' purpose on his time here on earth, there was moments where he would hold up the law to people. We consider Jesus one of the greatest law preachers ever. He was the greatest. There is no one above him. Because when he said, hey, Mo, you heard Moses say that, hey, if you covet, you know, your neighbor's house or whatever, then it's a sin. But I say, even if you think about it, he heightened it. What was he doing? Jesus came to put the holy law back in its proper place of perfection. You know what happened? At that time, there were many people out there that lowered the bar so much and they said, if I do these things, I'm holy. So they lowered the bar. But Jesus came on the scene, wait a minute, uh-uh, you're doing this all wrong. You lowered the bar. Let me put that thing back up. There's no way you can attain it. You can't attain this law. You thought it was reachable? No, you watered it down. I'm putting it back up to the standard of holy and perfection. And so when Jesus came, he was raising the standard back up back to where it reveals the holy nature of God, back to where it causes man to thrust himself to God for salvation. Because when I come to the end of myself, or when I come to the place where I can't trust my own efforts on obtaining that perfection, then it's I have to trust Jesus. I hope you're seeing this. I hope you're seeing this. Because in the old covenant, remember, salvation came through a sacrificial system, right? A system that we no longer use. This system couldn't remove your sin. Couldn't remove it. It could only cover it. That's it. Just cover it. We know what you can cover, you can uncover. And when you uncover it, it exposes your sin. But the new covenant... This is where it gets good. My six-year-old, this is how it gets gooder. The new covenant is very different. Jesus' blood doesn't cover your sin. 
It removes it. It removes it. And I know this is not a popular teaching, but you have to understand, it's completely wiped out. And most people believe that they still have some kind of academic nature inside of them. But this is why we have to understand the finished work of the cross. This is to John 129. He says this, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away, away the sin of the world. Hebrews 10.10 is going to get gooder. Hebrews 10.10 says it like this, By the will we have been made, what? Holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you're glad for that, come on, give Jesus some praise. So let me put it to you like this, because holiness is not in your actions. Holiness is in your position. And your position is in Mr. Holy. Holiness is received, not earned. New covenant believer, holiness is received, it's not earned. Holiness is a work of God, not a work of man. To be made holy simply means that you've been set apart by God. He has set you apart. How many of you know that part of our glorious past, we've taught this, but part of your glorious past is you dying on the cross with Christ? That's what Paul talks about. I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. We either believe that or we don't. Your old nature, edemic nature, was crucified with Christ on the cross. So you've been set apart. And this new person that you are, you're learning who you are each and every day. And so the Greek word used for holy is also translated as sanctified. And in the same way, you have been made holy. You have been, you have been sanctified. But what about those people that still are dealing with sin? Great question. What about the sin? Because there's still sin. Don't you know, Pastor? Are you blind? Like there's still sin in the world. And yes, but there are only three possibilities. And let me give them to you. First, maybe they've never been born again. Second, they have never been taught correctly. And third, they don't believe this message of a complete, finished work. In most cases, it's the third one. They don't believe it because they've never been taught it. Because we've been taught you're a sinner. You're dirty, you're rotten, you're disgusting. So deal with it. Jesus comes on and, and does what he does. Paul comes around and says, you're a saint. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. You're more than a conqueror. And it was prophesied. You're not below, but you're above. You're not the tail, you're the head. All these words and pictures describing what God had, has done for us. Okay, so do you, do you mean that, you know, God uh, sees me as holy even though I'm not? Is that the case? Is that how this works? No, because what he sees is truth. You are holy. 
So let me ask you a question. What's the opposite of unholy? It's one of the words that we use every week, and I hope you use it daily. The opposite of unholy is righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says it like this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's a good place where you can praise and give God glory for what he's done. Come on. Again, holiness is a work of God, not the work of man. Number three, are you having fun? Is this good? You learning something? Here we go. Number three, grace is God's part. But what about my part? What about my part? It's got to be something to do, right? It's got to be something to achieve. Now listen, because there's well-meaning people out there that really want to a genuine faith and authentic relationship with Jesus. And, and there's confusion still there because they think it's, yeah, Jesus saved me and he got me to this point, but now it's up to me. Now, now it's up to me to, to carry out my, my salvation and do what. And they use verses like this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Here we go. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so when we read put on, we make that into a work. Yes, we do. We make that into something that we have to do so that we can look righteous and so that we can look holy or experience it or bear it, whatever have you. You become a new self when you were born again. You were made holy. You became righteous. So when we emphasize from the platform up here who you are in your spirit, who you are will manifest. Okay, you didn't catch that. When you emphasize who you are in your spirit, you will manifest who you really are. This is how you and I put on the new man. You know, you want to know how you do it? You put it on through faith and belief. I like how my friend put it at a gospel circle. You take him at his word. Hey, that's a novel concept. You take him at his word. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says like this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with him in baptism, there it is, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Wow. Another favorite passage of mine is 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 and 8. 
and people use this to put you to work. Here it is. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and the goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ Whew. so they put you to work hey do this and make sure you keep adding add add and, and. Now, I believe all this is true. I love these descriptions of the new man, but I am way past ever trying to fabricate them in my own strength. That's my point. In fact, if you continue reading, it will show you what unlocks all these attributes. Are you ready for this? Here we go. Sometimes when you're stuck in scripture, you just got to keep on reading. So let's read the next verse. 2 Peter 1.9. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. God set us up like I can't tell you, but I'm telling you right now that I hope you're receiving this, that maybe sometimes when you fail, when you fall, could it be that you've forgotten your proper place? Because it was even the prodigal son that was in the pig pen that remembered my dad has a palace. <laughs> now check his thinking. Because his thinking was, I'd rather go work as a servant. At least I can barter with my dad and I can say, Dad, I'll work for you just so you can accept me back in. This is how most of us think. And so what we do, like he did, laundry list. We got our own speech. He had his speech ready. Father, forgive me. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I did it all, I wasted all my inheritance, I, everything you gave me, I, I failed, and I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm a sick individual. What does the father do? The father doesn't even allow him to speak, hugs him, loves on him. It is in his kindness that leads us to repentance. And then he throws a party for him, and then he gives him authority. New shoes. Who wouldn't want new shoes? I want new shoes. Gives them new shoes. And who doesn't like filet mignon? He grilled filet mignon. Lamb. He, he, he grilled it. He threw a party. All to say this. You can't go too far with grace. The prodigal son forgot. But while he was swallowing in the pigs in the mud, he remembered. Wait a minute. And even though some of us don't approach God the way he would like for us to approach him, meaning that we come with more remorse, he still shows his love. And you and I can forget what God has done on an everyday basis, and this is why you have to get acquainted with this message that tells you what God did for you in your spirit. Okay, so what's our part? What's our part? What's our part? Because I've heard people ask me this. What's our part? There has to be something that is our part. And I found it, John 6, 29. For all you workers, here it is. Jesus answered, the work of God is to believe in the one that he sent. Take him at his word. Take him at his word. Number four, here we go. 
If everything has already been done, what's the need for spiritual growth? Great question. If Jesus has completed it, I could just chill, right? Inheritance has been given to me. I'm just waiting to go to heaven. What's the need for spiritual growth? It's a great question. Let me say it like this, okay? Let me paint a picture for you. In your spirit, you are complete. That's what Paul's talking about. That I am a new creation in Christ. He's not talking about your body. He's not talking about your soul, your mind, will, emotions. He's talking about your spirit. That's what he's talking about. And you are a three-part being, if you didn't know. You are body, soul, and spirit. God-given spirit. You got a soul, mind, will, emotions, and you have a body. Okay? Okay? So in your spirit, you are complete, 100, I'm going to go old school, bona fide Holy Ghost, wall to wall, <laughs> okay? There is no room for nothing else in your spirit because it's filled with Jesus, okay? It's complete. You can't get any more of Jesus on the inside of you. Okay, I, I thought about 20 of you were going to run out. I'm just kidding. You can't get any more of Jesus on the inside of you. However, when we tune the valve of our mind, our soul, when we tune the, the valve of our mind, you can get more of him out of you and through you. This is what it means to be kings and priests on this earth. Because when my mind starts to catch up with what Jesus has done on the inside of me, oh, I live different. Oh, I expect blessings. I expect favor. If I'm sick, I expect healing. And if they're sick, I expect healing when I put my hands on them. You ex your expectations start to align with what heaven already knows and has already functioned. Like, you are carriers of God's kingdom. So when your mind starts to align with what Jesus has done for you in your spirit, can I tell you, you get more of him out of you and through you. Okay, let me put it like this, because Jesus called you a bunch of branches. He said, you're branches. It's what you are. And a branch can't be any more of a branch than it already is, right? But it can grow and it can bear fruit. So let me put it to you this way to help you out. A baby is as fully human as it will ever be. But it still needs to mature. The baby has everything it needs to be able to have an existence here on earth. It just needs to grow up. The same thing is with you. You're growing. Your spirit, everything that God has intended for your life is in you, you just need to wrap your mind around it. Or I'll say it like this. You need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the truth of what God thinks about you. So it's not my old nature being gradually changed for the better, but 
It's the manifesting of the new nature that I received when I was reborn. And having this Christ life living through us is infinitely better. Look at this, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. You can't ignore this. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God and human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. And if you're glad for that, come on, give Jesus some praise. So simply put right here, spiritual growth for a believer is really soul growth. Again, it's your mind catching up to what Jesus has done for you. It's allowing the life of Jesus that's on the inside of you to manifest outwardly. <laughs> All right. I'm going to skip ahead to number 17. Can we do that? Here's the last question for today. You go on and on and on about this grace gospel. What about being more relevant to the real issues people are facing today? Pastor, don't you know I got bills? Don't you know, like, there's some real hurt in my life? Don't you see our society is like in shambles, like everybody's fighting one another? How come we don't talk about real issues? Pfft, come on. Why don't you talk about real things that will help people in their walk? I'll say this, that at the center of every disaster that we face in this world, is the heart of man. It's your heart. Do you know you experience life based on what's in your heart? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says it like this. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. I added that. They don't have that back there, but I added it. You can write it. You can fact check me later. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Do you understand because of Adam, we deal with selfishness? Because of greed, because of Adam, we deal with greed. Because of Adam, we manipulate. Because of Adam, we tried to cut corners and lie over here and steal over here and cheat and all these things we, because of Adam. The gospel is the only hope for anyone's heart. I'll continue to say it that the greatest miracle that God does has done and will continue to do is a transformed heart from darkness to light from asleep to awaken from broken to healed that's the greatest miracle God does here on earth so when you are born again do you know what happens 
the old heart is taken out and a new heart is put in. This is the answer for every crisis mankind faces. We can talk about policies, we can talk about procedures, we can talk about all these things, but can I tell you at the core of those things is a man's heart, is a woman's heart. I believe it's the answer to, to, to racism. I believe it's the answer to injustice, to addiction. I, I believe that, that a transformed heart is the answer to, to, to war, poverty, disease, homelessness, fatherlessness, all these things that, that we deal with. I, I believe that in the message of Jesus putting us right with God, taking us out of the equation, calling us sons and daughters, celebrating our existence, loving us unconditionally, keeping us, saving us, carrying us by his grace, giving this this abundant grace day in and day out. I believe that's the place where these things go away. So you're not dealing with the superpower, not an evil superpower. Because that thing has been demolished. What you're dealing with are people that need to have their minds renewed. Oh, the devil doesn't have more power than God. And if you realize it, he doesn't have more power than you. That's a lie. And if we think we're fighting devils, listen to me. Maybe we're trying to fight a defeated enemy. The church has done a great job of resurrecting a defeated enemy. Because that wasn't your fight. Jesus fought it for you. And then gave you his victory. And then he says, go live. Take my kingdom to all the ends of the world. So I'm not a believer that is dealing with the wicked heart. You're not a believer that is dealing with a wicked heart. We are believers that are renewing our minds to the truth that God gave us a brand new heart. Come on, can you just lift your hands right now? I want to declare this over you. This is a promise that God gave to you even before you were born. It's Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit on the inside of you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? God has given you a responsive heart. God has given you a heart that is clear of guilt that God has given you a heart that is satisfied in his love. God has given you a heart that remains hopeful. God has given you a heart that is full of courage. God has given you that heart. Receive it today. Thank you, Jesus, for your finished work on the cross. That today... every day we get to live in the fullness of who you are I thank you that 
I'm staring at a bunch of kings and priests. They're kings and priests. No, it doesn't reign over them. They reign over it. We believe you today. We take you at your word today. And we declare it. We declare it. We declare it because it is truth. This is God's abundant grace. It removes the weight off of our shoulders and it invites us to an open life of God's grace where we are not bound, but we are set free. Not bound by tradition or regulations or requirements, but we're set free in Christ to experience the fullness of who Jesus is. I declare that over my friends. I declare that over my friends. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you receive that, give Jesus some praise.